You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in again for another Liz in Detroit podcast. It's been some time since I've uh, been before you. Um, been working a lot of new things. Finally was able to launch a new website. So again, you can actually really now see me in my new form website, which is again, www www.lizindetroit.com. Again, phone number 313-617-2699. And of course, available to you via Facebook at Liz in Detroit, Twitter, Liz in Detroit, as well as my email, lt at lizindetroit.com. So today I am welcoming you all to our pre-holiday show. Um, as we are approaching the big holiday season, um, I'm, I'm noticing a lot of different things changing in the downtown Detroit market, and I thought it was really poignant um, to have an important guest on today's show, which I'm going to introduce to you guys, um, that talks a lot about transaction and the importance of having legal counsel when you're looking into real estate transactions. And again, this can be involving um, – Regular real estate transactions as well as commercial real estate. So I'm proud to introduce to all of you today my guest, um, Kimberly Clayson. Yeah. Um, to read you a little bio about Kim, I'm really proud to have her as a guest today. Um, she invested in a law firm that she worked with for more than 10 years, she herself. She is now the president and attorney with Clayson Schneider Miller PC, formerly Schneider Miller PC. Um, her law firm has a 20-year-plus history delivering quality and high-impact legal services, services to Metro Detroit. So it's really fantastic that not only is she doing business in Detroit, um, but uh, she's also a native of Detroit as well. Um, her practices help entrepreneurs. So... Um, as we try to engage this into our real estate realm, I also feel that her expertise and skills are also very impactful um, in the entrepreneur market as we're seeing things really grow in the city of Detroit with new businesses, new restaurants um, that are all a big part of creating this solid community that we know and have it grow. It's a vital asset to have good um, representation for you and not only in real estate, but in law. Um she also focuses on business and startups, um, developing plans, so business plans, form the right entities for their business needs, protect, uh, protect their brand identities, analyze and organize finances, and review and negotiate contracts. And the contracts part is what I really want to touch on today since it's such a vital part of what I do in real estate and w making one de deal work for a client versus not, um, as well as you know, various other real estate transactions and credit agreements. Um, her restructuring of the law practice involves or formally um, of Chapter 7 bankruptcy trustees to administer and liquidate assets for the benefit of creditors. So that was Kim's former background. So again, her background not only in real estate and contracts is also strong in the financial aspect. So what she can bring to the table um, is pretty vital for a new business person. Um, also another poignant fact for Kim, she was, she also serves currently still, right? Is the city of Detroit as a board member of the economic development corporation and neighborhood development corporation of the city of Detroit. And as you know, on many of the shows in the past, we've talked about all of these new developments that are happening in the city and 
Now you can find another person and meet another person that's actually been a part of all of that. All of that has been coming together for the city of Detroit. So without further ado, Kim Clayson to everyone. Hello, thank thank you. you for having me. Yeah, so... You, of course, have a pretty big history of the work that you've done um, in law and in specifics regarding, um, you know, contracts and finance. What made you decide to go into this? Like, what was what was that passion behind that made you seek this out in law? Um, I think ultimately I have always been interested in small business and trying to help small businesses um, grow. It's been just a fascination of mine for, for a long time. And, and when I worked you know, in high school and in college and small businesses, I was always trying to like run the numbers in my head of how's, how does this business make its money? How does it, what, is, what do profits look like? And you know, kind of just really wanting to understand how the whole thing works. And um, so that ultimately you know, led me to you know, law school. Uh, I felt that was a good opportunity to learn how to structure your your thoughts and col- and collect information and have a, a good sense of knowledge that's pretty broad based. Yeah, and eventually that led me into a, um, a practice with the firm I'm I currently am now involved mm-hmm. in, and um, our primary focus for many years has been bankruptcy and insolvency law, um, representing a lot of different people, creditors, trustees, and, and individual debtors and entrepreneurs um, who've had run into bad luck or bad situation. Sure. Um, so that. A lot of the things I have seen and worked with um, individuals or seen through the bankruptcy process uh, where there were, you know, kind of tactical mistakes made that maybe were the thing that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back that led to insolvency. And um, I started to see a lot of patterns of like, if only you had legal counsel at this time or that time, it may not have completely saved things, but at least it could have um, made things a little bit better. Um, or maybe helped you know people save face and 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 get get out of things maybe a little less unscathed. unscathed. Sure, um, sure. And so I just felt it was really important to start to find a way to deliver um, legal services to to small businesses who aren't anywhere near bankruptcy, who don't need bankruptcy, but definitely want to stay away from insolvency. Sure. And sure. Um, so I've worked really over the last few years to figure out a model to bring that because I think the biggest fear for a lot of small businesses especially is what is it going to cost me? And so I've really tried to work um, towards making the legal expense sustainable because it's such an important need to a business. So I really work closely with clients to come up with costs based on what their budget is and what their real needs are and whether it makes financial sense um, rather than, um, and, you know, just looking at, you know, a simple billable rate. Like sure. what, what is it? What can we do to help this business succeed and grow and be able to do that with a, more information and knowledge around what it's going to cost them to do that in terms of legal services? Are you finding now that you're trying to get more people ahead of the game that are, st- like you said, the startups is a really big component with the, like the um, client attraction that you're working for? You know, I'm sure sometimes people come to you more on and when they need it the most, meaning that something's already happened, that they need a, you know, that exit plan. Mm-hmm. But like, give us a, a picture of what you hope to be like that ideal client and how best you can service them with what you offer. I think the ideal client would be somebody either who's 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 just getting started into building a business plan, whether they've been in business for a while and have just been floating around trying to figure things out, 
or but haven't really gotten themselves into major situations yet um but is you know are looking to grow or to expand or to really start to you know grab hold or somebody who's just getting started i think especially if you're looking at um acquiring new real estate entering a lease agreement um kind of that next stage where you're going to have to start entering into you know borrowing your first you know taking your first line of credit Anywhere where you're going to have a, a legal transaction take place, that's about the time that I want to see a client. Sure. Um, certainly, I'll help clients out of crisis, and I still do that today. Um, but it's a lot more expensive to dig out of a crisis than it is to plan um, through getting the right contracts, knowing what you're signing. Sometimes contracts aren't negotiable, but at least you can know what you're signing yeah. um, and know what the risks are and not be you know, surprised by those things, which a lot of times people are surprised later on and that's when the crisis hits right um walk us through like somebody you know just say i'm liz looking to start you know my own catering business you know i've started off with a couple little pop-ups so people can taste my food but i know that this is something that i really want to do and don't even know how to start it okay well i mean certainly you 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 need to know um what you're you need to start to build a business plan so you need to build a budget yeah you need to figure out um, where are my business sources, mm-hmm. um, what kind of revenue am I relying on right now, and how do I get to that next level of, of, of new revenue and start kind of structuring a plan of how that new revenue is going to come in. And, I, and just to as a sidestep, I've, I've worked with a lot of people through Chapter 11, which is a reorganization. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things kind of people have gotten themselves into trouble and are restarting and they're, and they're doing that at that point. Sure. Um, so that's lent to this, you know, how do you build a business plan? So you, And then you need to create a budget. You need yeah. to, what, what, how many employees do I need to staff? How do I staff them? Do I need law, like permanent staff? Do I need mm-hmm. temporary staff? How does that all look? And you start to actually build a plan. And that plan should also include what is it going to cost me for accounting services? You don't mm-hmm. you don't want to get upside down on accounting. Right. Um, you want to have good accounting services. What is that going to cost me to make sure that my books and records are in order? How often do I need those services? Is it monthly, quarterly? Um, and what exactly are they going to be helping me with? Payroll, taxes, payroll, you know, you know, getting payroll out the door. Like sure. they're, they're Accounting services can range pretty broadly. Um, and then also from legal services, am I going to need to um, get some real estate? Certainly if you're in a catering business, you're going to have to have commercial space somehow. So what does that look like? Is it a you know a, you know a community kitchen that's available for, for people to rent out on a short-term, low-risk basis? Or is it going to be a permanent physical space? Okay. You got to start thinking through all of those things. Am I going to need a line of credit to get started? How do I get myself ready to... to go out and look for that line of credit. Um, so those are the types of things that a business should be, you know, thinking about and planning. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a lot. And then you help them step by step to establish like a really good plan that, that, that they can hopefully build onto for the future. Correct. Yeah. So that's what I, I like to do. I mean, and that, that it's really, I think good to kind of come up with like a step by step. It can be pretty overwhelming thinking about all of the legal things, all the things I need to do as a, as a business. And so just kind of thinking through the, the transactional things step by step, what needs to happen and um, bouncing ideas off like between my client and I and like helping them see like organizationally where they need to be um, in order to keep the operation strong. Great. Now on a much bigger scale with your, you know, your involvement with the city of Detroit, we're talking much, much larger scale. Yeah. What, if, what of course you can talk about, which might not be a lot, but like oh, it's, as far, all, it's all public. Okay, yeah. Well, like you know the input that you had, and did you really feel when 
we declared as the city of Detroit declared bankruptcy, that there were good minds put in place to to create this plan that we, of course, thankfully got ourselves out of. But if you can go into a little bit of well, history, my memory's a little foggy <laughs> on things, but I do feel that I mean, I, I I'm still a little bit perplexed as to why any asset was you know treated as vulnerable in a mm-hmm. um, municipal bankruptcy because that's you know so so the the putting the art up as kind of a pawn yeah. was was a was a challenge i think i mean it, it did actually help accomplish a lot more than um you know if it wasn't there so you know i don't want to you know reinvent the wheel too much sure. i mean it, there was a lot a lot of pieces working together but um i mean overall we've come out i think stronger i think that you know we've had good leadership since that's helped us to um improve like so improve upon even what was you know i think anticipated sure. could happen so we've cleaned up our books as a city but um we also have done a good job of you know improving those books and increasing um you know tax base and revenue for the city what say over the course of like the last couple of years um with your roles have you seen things change for the better regarding the city's involvement with new industries coming in and how they're supporting them well, I think a really exciting thing um, in one of the projects that my board oversees is the um, I-94 Industrial Park. And then another one is, well, and then there's just some land ownership and control, um, like in the riverfront area, as well mm-hmm. as um, near the, um, where the new Gordie Howe Bridge will be um, installed. And one of like the most exciting things is, is not only now are we getting businesses investing, but they're also um, coming to the table, willing and interested to work with the community on the community benefits agreements, and um, are taking the community's needs, I think, much more serious than has ever been the case in um, finding ways to work with the community and not make it a battle of you know us versus them, but sure. really, yes, we do need to address, it. for instance, with the Gordie Howe Bridge, <clears throat> we need to address what it, what are the emissions. That are you know, and what what is that? What effect is that having right. on the community? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and 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 actually having real workable solutions in place and, and a, a clear path and plan for 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 that mm-hmm. purpose. Um, and so, I think the real exciting thing is seeing the investment, but also seeing the sen- the way it's being sensitive to um, the existing community's needs, but um, doing that in a way that's still moving the city forward. And you've got a really, I think, to be a really unique position. Not only are you part of this greater whole of the city to see these comes at, things interacting, but you got you have a really strong sense of the community base working with these individual entrepreneurs. So, from those experiences, is it you've is it been? I guess it's given you more um, clout or, or force behind you to be able to work with these new businesses that we see so that are popping up so much like all over the city you know i think what's helpful is just like that i've really seen how things have grown i've seen you know how real estate has developed i've followed you know real estate trends commercially and residentially so when i have a client coming in and telling me about you know something going on i know the neighborhood they're talking about i'm familiar with you know generally with the area that they're in and, you know, kind of know how that neighborhood has either remained the same or improved or gotten worse and, and those types of things. And so that's, I think, tremendously helpful in, in helping clients to um, make, you know, plans on and judgment calls on where they want to invest. Right. Well, that kind of touch on specifically. So before, you know, um, we set up this appointment today for you to come through and talk to us, you gave me a, your recent blog post, which I mm-hmm. 
I got the chance to read through and I thought there's so many specific points to it that are so relevant, not only to my business, but like individuals in general, whether you're looking to purchase real estate or as we're talking about a new business owner looking at commercial real estate and or leases. And if people need to find that blog post, we'll make sure mm-hmm. on um, when we um, end the show today that we give um, you guys all the links to this because I think it's real important for you, of course, to be able to download all the items because we're going to touch on a few things on the show today. But I think that would be really great knowledge if you're a young you know, business owner and you, you just are starting out and you want to know the who, what, when, where's and why. And we're touching on a few, which I find to be really important is due diligence. I'm always asked with clients, you know, the importance of due diligence. What should they be really looking for in that period of time? The who, what, whens of due diligence in addition to the actual contract itself. You know, the real importance of drafting up a good contract that covers not only your needs, but protects you in cases of if something occurs and you need an exit plan Mm -hmm. that you put together the proper provisions for that as well. So without, you know, I, I really want to touch on that due diligence. So if you can name an example of some things that we know people are looking and engaging in a contract, what sorts of things, I guess it would really depend upon the business that they're looking mm-hmm. for. Because if it's a building, you've got to find as much information as you can on that specific building. But what if there's any kind of key language that you find to be really important that somebody want to include, you know, for that? Well, Aqua's, I, I, you're talking about a purchase of a... Yeah. Um, a given property, let's say, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're looking to acquire property mm-hmm. and you need, you're looking at a contract of to protect yourself with with due diligence with the proper due diligence to make sure that this is the right purchase for you. Well, like what okay. kinds of things do you want to have sure. included to cover you in that period? Okay, you know? so and it, what is that really yes. like? What is that defined that due diligence period? Well, okay, so you're going to need to enter a purchase agreement. If we're talking about a commercial building, right. you're entering a purchase agreement, and that purchase agreement itself is actually a very critical document because that's going to be either the thing that governs the actual getting to close True. or getting you out of the deal before <laughs> you, you're going to. Um, you know, lose a lot of money on it because you you pulled out too late. Right. So um, the first thing is certainly making sure that you have an appropriate amount of inspection period in that. The timing. That, yeah, the timing. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to pull title work mm-hmm. on the property. You want to make sure you have enough time to do that. So you need, you know, provisions. I mean, a lot of the standard stuff in the residential um, purchase agreement may be a little too short of a short term. I mean, you need you need enough time to really review a title because when you're purchasing commercial property, there's probably a lot of um, crazy stuff going on with taxes and confusion over owners and property descriptions and things like that. So you really want to have a, a grasp of um, what the title really looks like, so you you're, you know you're buying a clean title property. Um, and then actual physical inspection of that property if it's potentially had some um, environmental contamination. Um, you need to think about what's called a baseline environmental assessment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you um, that basically cuts off like if you this assessment tells the rest of the world that you owned it from such and such a date. And as of that date, there was this much contamination in there. So as long as that contamination doesn't get worse and you sure. haven't, then you are not liable for what happened in 2010 and prior. Got it. Um, so that those are, I mean, 2010 is just a, sure, pulling a sure. number out. But basically, so you want to make sure that you have, you know, that the allowance for, for that to be done. Um, and you may find, you know, if 
that timing on that can come before or after you're ready to close. But um, ultimately, you, you want to get that in line and you might want to know what's going on there on that property before you actually close on the purchase. So like the I think the ins- inspection of the physical property mm-hmm. and um, the the contents of the physical property, but also the um, the title to the property, you want to make sure you're you're buying what you think you're buying because we i mean i'm seeing typical time frames for regular home inspections now range between seven and ten days Mm -hmm. they sometimes were shorter but in the kind of marketplace or that we have right now i've seen that the good inspectors and i work with an interchange of like five or six are busy so Mm -hmm. you almost need 10 you know over a week to sometimes schedule that in you know, mm-hmm. to get in a good inspector, which I found. But typically from with your experiences with commercial, it can range, of course, ve- um, much widely as far as mm-hmm. the time period. But what typically do you see as more of a minimum time frame? I, I would normal say, to say 14 days would be about reasonable to, to get it done. I mean, it really depends on the size of the property and, and what and, all you need to investigate. Yeah. Uh, yeah and what, if, there's, if you do have questions about environmental on the property, um, yeah, so it, it really depends on you know the specifics of the property you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And in and on those same lines of due diligence, uh, the flip side of that is putting together proper provisions. If you do in fact find something that would want to give you that client that buyer the out to not lose money, whether it be their earnest money deposit or what other fees that they've put forth towards this process. You know, yeah. So you certainly, I mean, that's the the thing you have to be careful is that at some point you have to clear to close the, on the property, and once you've said that the inspection has passed, the title has passed, and then you know, typically once those things have happened and you're and you're okay um, with those, or you don't raise a concern within the time frame allotted in the contract, then you are going to have to proceed to close on the property. Yeah, because I know timelines are always the most important thing when I'm talking with clients to emphasize, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't necessarily just get out of a contract before it's set to close just mm-hmm. because you choose to. You have to set up certain provisions. So it could be like a mortgage contingency. It could be the inspection contingency or even appraisal, as we're seeing now, um, come into play too. appraisal contingencies and given offers that you could potentially leverage on how you might be able to further negotiate yeah. on a given deal. And those are certainly there too, especially if you're financing the purchase of mm-hmm. a property, you definitely are going to have to make sure that it appraises. And um, I think even, you know, if you have cash to purchase a property, I, I think you've got to be careful not to let the emotions take over. If you really like a, a property, you've got to make sure that it, it certainly is within the value because you know, within what current values are and you're not paying substantially over because it'll be a long time before you start to realize any overpayment on, on sure. the value. Have you had any experiences? I'm, I've been seeing it. Okay, it's somewhat, um, I guess, market driven. Have you been seeing people engage in more like land contracts now versus standard contracts that involve cash or mortgages? Um, not right now. I think that there. I think that the capital markets are getting better. I mean, the the hard part is, are you credit worthy and all of that? So sure. right now, it's definitely more you know financed um, purchases. I think you know you start to see land contracts grow when when it's more difficult to obtain traditional financing. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, I think real estate in the city, especially, is moving so fast that nobody's going to no you know sellers aren't interested in land contracts right. unless it's swift and there's a yeah. lot down. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, unless that's the, you know, specific investment play that a particular like landowner is trying mm-hmm. to, to go for is to create basically an annuity, you know, over a period of time and collect that money themselves. Or, yeah, they're not really interested in or if it's just a short term. But if the property is in the right place, it's not going to sit around for very long and somebody will find a way to finance it or cash, cash purchase the property. Right. Now, with um, with the contracts themselves, you've had you've had a lot of experience um, from leasing contracts and consulting Say you're, you know, an, an individual client looking to lease from a specific developer or landowner or management company, you can provide the services that actually goes over the contract they've been given. So sometimes you mm-hmm. have to abide by the contract that the property owner provides. Like what sorts of things have you seen and you can counsel people that might be faced in those same situations as kind of like not just like warning signs, but things to look out for and be aware of, you know, for that? Certainly. Well, you've, you've got to be very aware of what the actual cost of that lease is. The lease, the base lease price may not be what you're going to pay on a monthly basis. Um, and so, you know, a lot of individuals, I think, come you know are quite surprised when mm-hmm. all of a sudden they they got their lease bill and then they got this bill for all this other stuff like property taxes um insurance electricity water um so you got to know exactly what you are also paying for in addition to that lease if you know the the keywords would be triple net sure um you know you you if you're paying a triple net lease you know you're going to pay the lease price plus um, and, you know, that's more of what's being commanded now that the market is starting Strong. to turn around. Yeah. So people can command the cover covering the building costs. Um, and if that's the case, you want to know what those what those specifically are. What is you need to know the specifics of what you're paying. There are a lot of um, expenses that can kind of be, you know, I guess, finessed a little bit by the landlords, like, you know, mm-hmm. security costs um, specifically. Um, versus things that are very fixed and clear cut, which are tax property taxes sure. and um, ma- you know maintenance cost, like basic maintenance costs and things like that. But you you probably want to get a sense of what what are those costs really going to be, mm-hmm. um, and you also want to make sure that you're in some way fixing those so that the you know the sky isn't the limit with those costs. So you want to have a very specific list of these are the things we are going to pay for. If for some reason those those jump way up, like a property taxes, if there's some crazy thing that happens with the property taxes. You know, you, you want to try to cap your um, what your ex- additional expenses mm-hmm. are going to be. So there's a lot of ways to negotiate that with landlords. Um, how about like the difference between like a, a white boxed property that is, you know, finished where you can in essence create your own move in with your own, um, you know, items and start, you know, your business or something that's going to require work to get it to a state that you can actually um, work in. So th- those are things that are really important to negotiate and kind of want to get a sense as much as you can of like the landlord's financial picture, especially if the landlord's going to be, you know, financing the build out, but you're going to ultimately be responsible to pay that cost. Mm-hmm. Like you want to make sure that this is a landlord who has the wherewithal and the and the, and the ability to actually complete a build out. Mm-hmm. If you're going into a white box space where you're responsible for it, you're going to want to make sure of a few things. First, you know, like you probably want to be careful about how permanent you make things in that space because uh, with a lease, nothing is forever. Even a five, sure. five or 10 year lease, like that's going to be up and you, you not need to be able to, you know, move out easily if you need to, or hopefully renegotiate, but you don't want things too permanent in a, in a space that you've invested in 
as the business owner. Um, you're also going to want to make sure that the length of your lease is going to cover some of the costs of things you can't take out of the space. There's cer- sure. certain investments that you're going to make in a space that just um, contractually you're not going to be able to remove that are going to become fixtures to the property. Um, so you you do you want to make sure that you're going to be able to be in that space long enough for it to make financial sense to make certain investments. So you, you've really got to, I think, map out the the real cost and budget it out and make sure that you're you're you know that the costs are in line with the, the timeline for being in in a space. Got it. No, that's really key. Um, trying to think um, with respect to other key components, things to look by. Like I'd like to play like if I was somebody looking in to sign. Um, a contract and I know I really want this space badly. What are certain things you should look out for that might be that might be thrown in that you might not know to be suspect of that, you know, as somebody going into a commercial lease things that you should be leery of? Well, so another area is, you know, that you're you've got to look out for is a lot of times the um, like code compliance is shifted on to the tenant. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, that can become really costly. I mean, like you might think, oh, no big deal. I'm just going to comply with code. But if you're in a space that requires sprinklers and it doesn't have sprinklers and all of that responsibility has shifted to you and the sprinkler expense is a $50,000 investment and you've got three or, you know, a few months left in your lease or a couple of years left in your lease, that's probably not going to make a whole lot of financial sense, but you've contracted to be responsible for that obligation. So that's a big red flag to look out for. Um, It doesn't seem like anything because you're not actually seeing a dollar sign next to that line, but um, it could be substantial and um, could really hamper your business. Mm -hmm. From So if if someone comes to you and they know that they're going to be making some kind of an acquisition, whether it be... Um, it's probably going to be more common for commercial real estate. I sometimes have clients that want to have an attorney review a residential real estate, but since those contracts are usually pre-drafted by individual brokers, you know, we are a state different than others where the real estate agents provide the documents. I know that there are other states um, of our union where it's more attorney based, where attorneys draft, draft up all the contracts. But if someone is coming to you and say they're looking to purchase a building for their business, um, how do you coach them through what the structure of this offer should be? Um, so from start to finish of this contract, like some of the key components that it should include to cover their bases? Well, I think Generally, we want to, you know, just look at all of the ways that the the contract could go sideways and and try to like limit liability as much as possible and fix th- dates and deadlines as much as possible um, and have some clear outs that the client is really where, well aware of for for the deal. Um, and you, you still want to make sure that um, the seller that the you've got proper disclosures on the property that you, you still want to make sure that. Um, they're they're pr- appropriately describing the condition of the property and things like that. And so, sure. um, you know, every purchase agreement can be very, quite very different. different. Like, sure. There's a lot of variety. Um, so I think the most important thing is, is if you're if if you're drafting a purchase agreement or if you're receiving a purchase agreement, you want an attorney to help you read through that so you kind of know what what's going on and the attorney can tell you if something's way off base or not. But, you know, I mean, it's just 
anytime there's a contract involved, you should sure. really be bringing in an attorney to do that. And go through everything line item by line item for yes. sure. Yeah, because there can be a lot of like hidden costs or buried um, liability that you just it doesn't when you just read it on the surface, you're not really thinking more deeply about what could really go wrong with that. And it is a very short agreement. I mean, a purchase agreement is really got a very short shelf life. So sure. it's not, um, you know, substantial, you know, but in the time that you're negotiating, you know, there is a lot at stake. And you so within that short period of time, you want to make sure that that it's a buttoned up contract and there's um, no hidden cost to it. Um, you want to have everything out uh, in the open and very cl- crystal clear. Great. Well, unfortunately, because of my tardiness on the show today, we've got things cutting short. But I just wanted to emphasize the importance of the information that you've provided with us today. And so hopefully down the road, we'll find cause to have you come back maybe seasonally to touch more about specific items um, with the contracts, with negotiations that I think that are really important for clients. And as I always strive on the show is, you know, it's it's more than just talking about listings. It's about like creating um, a stronger sense of self in the community that we are mm-hmm. all in. And I just appreciate so much your your knowledge and your um, experience. And I think if anybody's seeking for that information, they should definitely reach out to you. So in, in order for them to do that today, what are the best ways to, for people to get in contact with you? Okay, the two best ways company? the two best ways to get in touch with me are um, by calling me at the office and the number there is 313-237-0850. Or you can send me an email at kim at com, <laughs> And it's quite a mouthful. So I, I hope that Liz will just share the um, email address on, on the link. Um, Absolutely. That, those are the two best ways to reach me. Fantastic. Well, once again, everyone, thanks so much for listening in on the Liz in Detroit show. And again, if you need to reach out to me, you can do so on all of our um, portals. Facebook, Liz in Detroit. Twitter, Liz in Detroit. Email lt at lizindetroit.com, as well as my website, the new website, lizindetroit.com. And, of course, my cell phone, always open at 313-617-2699. Thank you all, and I look forward to our next holiday show coming up in the next couple weeks. Thanks again.